Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Gillian Lord, and welcome to the latest edition of Policy Forum Pod. Recently, I spoke to Joe Zweglich and Christopher Edmonds from the Asian Development Bank to talk about economic prospects for developing Asia and the Pacific and the impact of China's slowdown on the region. Well, what are some of the economic prospects for development and who would be good partners for this? We're seeing that growth has been slowing in, in developing Asia for the past few years. Our forecast uh, for the region is that it will slow further. Uh, we've had growth of, of basically Asia x Japan 5.9% last year, and we're expecting to dip further to 5.7% next year. Uh, in terms of, of who are some of the, the, the big features, we're seeing a slowdown in China, um, but uh, uh, robust growth continuing into India and in the ASEAN region. Have you anything to add, Chris? In terms of the Pacific, uh, growth is down strongly this year, uh, mostly on the back of much slower growth in Papua New Guinea, which is facing, um, like a number of the, the resource exporting countries of the Pacific, uh, are facing uh, major headwinds as a result of the low international commodity prices. Joe, do you have any specific thoughts on how China's slowdown has impacted on the region generally? Yeah, we've done some, some estimations of what the impact has been. Uh, it, just looking at a, a case if China were not to have slowed, uh, the growth in the region would have been about three-tenths of a percentage point higher the last few years. Um, the the uh, ties through trade and production linkages are, are quite strong uh, in East and, and Southeast Asia. So as China is making this adjustment to more consumption-based growth and its uh, growth is slowing due to its uh, shrinking workforce, um, it is having some impact on the region. Do you have anything to add, Chris? From, from the Pacific perspective, we actually see a number of secular trends in terms of the rising middle class in China leading to um, actually stronger ties. So on the tourism front, we have increasing numbers of tourists from the People's Republic of China going traveling overseas, and a fair proportion of them are interested in trips to the Pacific, and that's a real boon for the economy. And also on the investment front, so although growth is slowing, actually, there, there are signs that investment coming out of the People's Republic of China into the Pacific is rising. And that even though these might be very small investments from the Chinese perspective, from the perspective of these small economies in the Pacific, they're very important. Joe, what are the implications of falling producer prices for growth in the region if the risk of falling prices is realized? Well, we are seeing that uh, inflation generally is quite low in consumer prices, but for a number of economies, producer prices are moving the opposite direction. We're already starting to see that there's been some deflation. We've done some analysis to see uh, whether this is, is something to worry about. Initial uh, uh, research is suggesting that um, when producer prices are falling, uh, it affects the firm's uh, investment decisions, which itself can then uh, have a subsequent decline in growth. What are some of the major factors underlining the current decline in potential growth? 
uh, for the declining potential growth, a lot of it is being driven by the, the fact that uh, demographics are less favorable in the region than they have been before. Um, another factor that's Im- important to keep in mind is that, uh, in, in s- to some extent, uh, Asia is um, uh, being affected by its past success. So whereas its potential growth was, was quite high in the past because it could adopt the the, the, the technologies uh, uh, and techniques and policies uh, um, from uh, successful economies, having done that, getting that extra increment of growth is now somewhat harder. On top of that, the slowdown in China uh, in terms of its growth has uh, ripple effects through the, the, the rest of the economy. So those seem to be the, the three key elements that are leading to lower potential growth now. Chris, what are some of the policy approaches that would boost future growth potential in the Pacific? So, I mean, I think a large part of growth in many of the Pacific Islands is driven by public expenditure um, because the private sector in these the private sectors in these economies tend to be small. So, inc- improving the efficiency of public expenditures is key to these economies. A number of the economies face certain challenges in terms of their reliance on a single export, and that brings a lot of volatility as well. So efforts to create a more positive business environment where it's easier to start and or grow a business uh, would help uh, create an environment in which the, the economic base could diversify. And although you know these countries are always relatively remote, relatively high cost, we actually see a number of changes in the global economy creating opportunities for these countries. Uh, I mentioned the tourism earlier. Uh, we also see a lot of niche exports, so high-quality uh, agricultural process exports, cosmetics, things like that, where there are real opportunities. But a lot of it is hampered a bit by uh, reliance on inefficient state-owned enterprises for a lot of the inputs that these enterprises needed, need. Access to credit is a problem, things like that. But the, the, these are the, the big opportunities we see. Joe? What are some of the policy approaches that would boost future growth potential in the rest of the region? Uh, well, uh, we looked at uh, a number of different, uh, of different elements that seem to be robust determinants of, of higher labor productivity, um, such as uh, uh, increasing the, the skill levels as proxied by uh, 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 higher levels of, of tertiary education, um, greater openness to trade, uh, and those two uh, elements in particular um, have some some higher impact for those that are are, are already at very low levels. Um, but there's uh, uh, better policies and uh, and institutions such as uh, more flexible labor markets and better delivery of public services are also areas where there are gains to be made in terms of potential growth. Are there any policies in place? that are assisting with this um, boosting future growth potential? Or are there any close to being realized in the Pacific, for example, Chris? Definitely the, this issue about improving regional connectivity is uh-huh. something that comes to mind, a policy area. So in terms of coordinating uh, customs regulations, uh, being able to transit goods more, more, more quickly, more efficiently across the region, and that, that that is underpinned by improvement in the in the infrastructure of the region. So that that's an area that comes to mind, um, as well as you know cooperation, regional cooperation on the disaster front, because we're finding that these these annual disasters are just becoming a, a macroeconomic phenomena and one that requires a, a regional approach to really address it, as well as you know of course domestic things. Uh, to, to increase fiscal buffers and improve in emergency preparedness. And in the rest of the region, region Joe? 
Well, if we look specifically at at, at China, for example, um, there are a number of supply side reforms that are that are needed to to boost growth there. Uh, in particular, uh, if we, uh, two uh, key areas are uh, making the the labor market more flexible, um, but also in terms of of, of uh, uh, working to to unwind the state-owned enterprises reforms around the. Uh, there to uh, to make these large industries uh, more productive. Is there a role for Australia in any of the scenarios in the region? A role that Australia could play that it isn't, or something it's doing well? Well, uh, we've actually had very uh, uh, strong cooperation with uh, Australian uh, uh, Australia's aid program in a number of our countries uh, in the Pacific, in particular. Um, but uh, throughout the region, we find ways where. Uh, we can team up as uh, through our ADB's development assistance um, to provide uh, um, you know more bang for our buck, if you if you will. Uh, uh, Australia is also one of the larger contributors to our concessional funds, uh, the Asian Development Fund. Uh, um, so through uh, through our support, uh, our support from uh, that we receive from the uh, uh, government of Australia, we're able to provide more assistance to the the poorest countries in the region. And I would just say, yeah, uh, Australia and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade is probably one of our, our biggest partners in the Pacific region. And obviously, DFAT has a very large role in, in the country, in, 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 in the region. Uh, so through co-financing, as well as uh, working together on a number of projects, especially on the when we're looking for what's called program assistance, uh, policy-based reform or budget support, we will work very closely with, with Australia as well as the other development partners to ensure that uh, different the different parties are giving common policy messages and not, not ensuring that we're not acting in a way that counteracts each other other's efforts. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for appearing on Policy Forum. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's it for the day. We'll see you soon on the policyforum.net site for the latest news in public policy. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.